Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. I want to give you two dates um, as you're turning there. And by the way, if you, if you just came in after I did announcements, you haven't filled out that connection card, would you make sure you fill out that connection card sometime during the message? If you're a regular member, attender, just your name, uh, any information that might have changed. But if you're a guest, man, welcome. And if you'd fill that whole card out, the person next to you is going to ask for it in a few moments. And so make sure you fill that out. Hey, two dates I want you to remember. We've had so many people join our church in the past year, and we love all of y'all. We're so glad you're here. Um, actually, I, I'm just going to be vulnerable for a moment. We've grown so quickly, it's been hard to keep up with it. So there, there's a couple of areas we know we're lacking, and that is we're working on them. And one of those is trying to get people plugged into ministry so you can be serving, because we don't want you to come see it. God didn't call you to see it. God didn't save you to see it. God calls you to come help us reach every person in Peavine City with the gospel. So we hope that's why you're here. And so in order to shortcut the process a little bit, on September the 9th, our goal right now is to do the first one on September the 9th. We're going to do our first ever ministry tour. And that is uh, during the Sunday school hour, and it will spill over into the 11 o'clock hour a little bit. We're going to take a fixed number of people And we're going to walk you around our whole campus and show you areas you can serve here at the church. And so just make a note. Be looking for that. We'll announce it and put a sign up somewhere. But it'll be a fixed number of people. If we have enough sign up, we'll do two back to back. Uh, But it'll be a fixed number. You'll get to meet with all of our staff, interact with all of our staff during that time on September 9th. Then also, uh, one of the things we did for the first time last year, which we loved, we had a great time, we did a new members barbecue, and that was everybody who joined in the past year, we threw a barbecue out back and had a great time. And Daniel, I'm, I, looked at, I was looking at my calendar, that's why I was late. Is that October 2nd-ish? <laughs> On earth, in, in Georgia? I, I, so like, I, I, I want to make sure I get that date. Second, October 2nd. So if you've joined in the past year, I want you to, we're going to send out invites here soon. Uh, we're going to have a new member barbecue and we'll answer questions about the church and we're just going to hang out and have fun. And we did it last year and loved it. Had over a hundred and something people here last year for that. And so mark it down is for new members only, October 2nd, and um, uh, we'll send out invites soon. I also say that if you've been waiting to join the church if you want barbecue, you might want to go ahead and get in while the getting's good. And uh, um, so, hey, so today is my last sermon in the sermon series entitled "Jesus Said What." And uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the last time I'll get to say this, so I want to say it. Every word in your Bible is the Word of God, from Genesis to Maps. It is all the Word of God in your Bible. The majority of your Bible is written in black ink, and it was supposed to be that way. But everything written in black ink is God's Word. When you get in the New Testament, you're going to find some words written in red ink. And red means Jesus said those words. It was recorded by his followers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and put in the Bible. But even in the red ink, now just because it's in red doesn't mean it's more the word of God than the black. That's not true. It's all the word of God, all equally powerful. However, uh, even in the words in red, there's particular things we want to pay attention to. And one of those is the sermon that rocked the world. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. 
and it covers about three chapters uh, in the book of Matthew. It's other places in the Bible too, but about three chapters in the book of Matthew. And so we've not even preached through the whole Sermon on the Mount. I was looking early this morning, and there's a whole nother sermon series. I may do this same sermon series next year and just go back and capture some of the stuff we didn't talk about. Because we didn't even talk about everything in the Sermon on the Mount. I just went through and I pulled out some of the paradigm-shifting statements inside the Sermon on the Mount. Things that make you go, now, wait, what did you say? And so I'm going to run over those in a minute. I'm going to run over them with intent in just a moment, not just to run over them. There's a reason we're going to run over those. But I want to finish out today, and I want to preach this subject. Jesus said this, get your act together. Now, I told you that Jesus is closing out the Sermon on the Mount with an invitation, right? Like Jesus is closing it out. And uh, he's giving an invitation. We, we've talked about the two ways and two trees and all that. And so now he's closing it out. And he's talking about people who um, everybody in the world, not just people, everybody in the world is building a house. Now, when we say building a house, we mean it metaphorically that, that he's, we're building a spiritual house. We're building a family house. We're building a, an emotional house. We're all building a house. And so Jesus said... There are only two kind of houses to build, so I want to look at those today. Have you ever wondered if, if your house could survive a uh, hurricane? And that's, that's tough to mention around here because this is, feels like Tornado Alley sometimes around through here, but I'd much rather be in a hurricane. But have you ever wondered, do they do extra things? And how do you build a house that withstands a hurricane? Well, in 2010, after a rash of hurricanes, by the way, we're coming up on what's called peak hurricane season in the Atlantic. Would your home survive? Well, in 2010, the Institute for Business and Home Safety in Richburg, South Carolina, decided they were going to test two different kinds of homes. So they built inside of a, inside of a factory two 1,300-square-foot homes, and they built them different. One was built as a standard spec home. It's what you'd find all across America, built exactly the way it would be built on a, on a foundation. The second one was built the same way, except in it, there were straps, there were bands that wrapped all the way around the house. You couldn't see them on the outside, but they were on the inside, and they wrapped all the way around the house, and they embedded themselves into the foundation. And they wanted to know, would, this, um, would these houses survive a hurricane? So how do you test that? Well, believe it or not, they built a $40 million test facility. In South Carolina. I got a picture of it here on the screen. You, you can see it up there. Now hold that picture there for just a moment. What you're looking is, is the back of the facility. Those are 105 fans. How many of you sleep with a fan blowing on you at night? Let me see your hand. Anybody else like me? Yeah, I, I just, I'd rather stay awake than not have my fan blowing on me at night. And uh, so to me, this is paradise right here. Like just lay me down in the middle of this and let me sleep on that. Except... Those 105 fans can simulate a Category 3 hurricane. They get winds up to 110 miles an hour. So they put those two houses in there. They turned the hurricane on, and they started blowing to see. The first two tests they did, both houses survived the 110-mile-an-hour winds. However, the test lasted less than 10 minutes. 
So they decided on the third test, they were going to let the test go longer than 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, the standard house began to shake and then literally was blown away. The house that had those straps anchoring it into the foundation withstood with minimal cosmetic damage. When I read the article, here's the statement that I love. Tim Reingold, an engineer working on the experiment, summarized the results with this question. I love this. The bottom line you have to ask yourself is, which house would you rather be living in? When a hurricane comes, which house would you rather be living in? The one with a typical foundation or the one with a reinforced foundation, which one would you rather be living in? And can I tell you something? We come to Matthew chapter 7. That is exactly the question Jesus is asking you when a hurricane hits your life. What kind of house do you want to be living in? Because Jesus summed up, there are only two types of houses in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus said it was up to you that you can determine how you can withstand the storms and difficulties of life. Because you are building a house with the materials that you get from the word of God. And listen to this statement. You are determining today how strong your tomorrow will be. You are determining today how strong your tomorrow will be. And Jesus said, get your act together and build a life around the word of God and build a home around the word of God and build a family and build a spirit that will withstand the hurricanes of life. You say, preacher, I need to have a life that can withstand a storm. Well, here is how you do it. Let's look what Jesus said. Would you stand with me? As we honor God's word by reading Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And it's on the screen. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can look up here with me. Here's how it starts off. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Thank you. You may be seated. We're closing out the Sermon on Mount, and Jesus is asking the question, listen, the question is this, what are you going to do with all you've heard? Now, I want to ask you that question today. Many of you have been here through all seven of these sermons that I have preached through the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to pause and ask you just for a second, would you do me a favor and just look, look this way, look at me for a second? Can I remind you of what we've looked in the Sermon on the Mount? And by the way, the, the, there's been no power uh, coming from me in these sermons. The Sermon on the Mount, it speaks for itself, but Jesus said some powerful things. For example, we've looked at, uh, the first sermon I preached was Nip It in the Bud. And I said, you've got to deal with small sins in your life before they get big. And here's my question to you. Did you stop and deal with the small sins that are in your life right now? 
Did you stop and deal with the sins that are in your heart that have not yet manifested themselves in our lives? That was eight weeks ago when we said you've got to nip it in the bud because if you don't, it grows and gets bigger. The second sermon I preached was loving the unlovable. Jesus told us we ought to love our enemies and I've got to ask you, are, are you loving your enemies? Did you hear that sermon? And I had so many people talk to me about that sermon. But did you hear that sermon and did you go on with the same old blame and same old anger and same old resentment you had before you heard the sermon? I preached on don't be a worry wart. That was probably the number one sermon I got comments on, that one and the one after this. People telling me how, how much they worried and how... That sermon helped them. But let me ask you have, you, have you went right back to worrying all the time? The next sermon I preached was on pray harder. And I talked about you getting serious with God about your prayer life. Let me, let me ask you this. Have you started praying and praying harder since you heard that sermon? I talked about making a good decision. Have you decided which road you're going to go down, success or failure, life or death? Last week I preached on religious ain't saved. And we had people saved in both services who were church members who thought they were Christians. But let me ask you, you may be sitting here today and last Sunday you said, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to get saved. I need to get saved. Let me ask you, have you? Are you still hoping that God's going to let you into heaven? I mean, before we get too hard on the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the uh, uh, potential disciples, Jesus is asking you the same question. What have you done with what you've heard? Because the words of Jesus aren't just meant to be heard. They're meant to be acted upon. And so with that backdrop in mind, Jesus begins in verse 24. By the way, there's a proverb, if you're taking notes and want to jot it down in your notes, that is kind of the backdrop for this whole sermon. Proverbs 10, 25, Jesus probably had this on his mind. It says, when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous have an everlasting foundation. And so with that proverb in his mind, no doubt, Jesus preaches the final words of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 24. In verse 24, the parable about one man building on a rock and another man building on the sand emphasizes the importance of living in the light of Jesus' teaching. Listen, it is one thing to hear what he said. Hey, follow me here. Everybody say amen. Amen. See, it's one thing to hear what Jesus said and then approve of it. That's what you do when you say amen. So practice it one more time with me. Say amen. amen. That's approving of what Jesus said in the word of God. And it's one thing to hear it and to approve it. It's another thing to obey it. You ought to hear it and you ought to approve it, but then you ought to obey it. It's only obedience that results in a solid achievement or solid foundation. And Jesus said this, people either respond to my words or they do not. There is no other possibility. And so he goes on to speak of the person who hears his words and not only hears them but does them. Doing clearly means that the person in his view is not content with admiring some outstanding teaching. He makes it his guide and his model for life. Listen, I love it. Listen, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I love it when you tell me good sermon. Like, I'm, I am a human being. I love it more when you change your life 
because of what you heard from the word of God. And Jesus is saying, the wise man is the one who puts into practice and changes his life. He said, I declare him to be a wise man, and he builds his house on a rock. He builds his house on the rock of the word of God, the rock of the principles that are found within your Bible. That if you want to be a wise person, you build your house on the foundation of the word of God. And he said, when you do it, here's what's going to happen. There will become a time of testing for your home. He says three things are going to happen. The rain's going to come. Now by rain, he doesn't mean a drizzle. He means it is going to pour from the heavens. When it pours from the heavens, especially where they were, they would understood this well. Water runs on the ground, and so you have rivers that are dry beds, but when it pours the rain, they swell immediately and they flood. And so when it rains, uh, the rivers fill up and they flood the area. And so Jesus said, when this guy built his house on the principles of the word of God, a firm foundation, that uh, the storms came, the rains flooded, the rivers flooded, and the winds beat against the house. That is a hurricane, as we would call it. But Jesus said it survived it all because it had a good foundation built on a rock. Then he goes into verse 26, and the attention moves from the wise man to the foolish man and the careless hearer of the word of God. The wording is exactly the same almost in both passages, except in verse 24, uh, in 20, uh, 24 where it says, and does, him, that does them, he hears these sayings of mine and does them. In verse 26, there is a negative participle in front of does them, and so it negates it, and it means he does not do them. So in verse 26, the person who built on the sand heard the same sermons, read the same teachings, but he didn't do them. He didn't take them as serious. And he didn't put into practice what he had heard. And the Bible says he was foolish. And then notice the same thing happened to him. The rains came, the river swelled, the land flooded, the winds came. And the first house withstood it, but the second house was blown away. There's one different word you'd never see in the English, but in verse 27, it said, The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell. That word beat on the house. It it says the same thing in verse 25, actually two different Greek words. The word in verse uh, 27 um, is a word that means to strike with a great blow that tumbled it. It literally means the final blow. And when it said it fell and it was a great fall, it means it was in complete ruin. So anyone who hears Jesus' teachings without doing them, it is saying that you neglect your own life, you neglect the word of God at your own peril because one day your house is going to fall. So all of that was Jesus saying, get your act together. You only have two decisions to make. Are you going to build your house on the principles of the word of God, a solid foundation? 
Are you just going to do what everybody else does, live the way everybody else lives, do what you've always done, and build it on the sand? Which house do you want to be living in when the hurricane comes? Let me dive in a little bit deeper. Let me unpack it just for a moment. Let me tell you three things I think Jesus was saying to us in that passage. Number one is this, everybody has junk going on. Now, I know that's probably not great English, and I know there's probably better words than that, but I think maybe you get it when I say it that way. I could say everybody has storms in their life, but that's over-spiritualizing a little bit because you don't go up, you, you don't say to your kids, hey, kids, we got a storm in life going on right now, don't we? You look at your kids and you say, man, we got some junk going on, don't we? And that's what Jesus was saying in this verse. Now notice it carefully in the, there that the both, listen, both things happened to both houses. Exactly both things. That both houses had rains. Both houses had floods. Both houses had winds. Both houses got beat up or beat on pretty badly. But the house that was built on a solid foundation wasn't saved from all the junk that happens in life. The house that was built correctly was not saved from the storm and the winds and the floods and the rains. And I point that out because sometimes we get the idea in life that people who seemingly have it all together, they just haven't been through what we've been through, preacher. They haven't been through the trials I've been through. They haven't been through the storms I've been through. And we start to think that if we had their lives, everything would be different. And here's the truth. Listen carefully. We all get started at a different place in life, but once the race starts, the same junk happens to everybody. Everybody gets sick. Everybody dies. Most people will go through some kind of financial difficulty. Everybody will go through family trouble. Everybody will experience relationship trouble. Everybody will have anxiety in their life. You say, well, preacher, that's not true. If you looked at, man, if I just had money, then everything would be better. Really? Have you read the news? Have you seen Hollywood stars who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars whose lives are in complete misery? Have you read about people who've won the lottery and won hundreds of millions of dollars and most of them wish they'd never won the money? No, the fact is that no matter where you are, listen, it is going to rain on your parade too. And your success, the success of your life is not determined by your ability to escape the storm. It's determined by your ability to overcome the storm. You're not going to be a winner by avoiding the fight. You become a winner by winning the fight. Because everybody's got junk going on. In their lives. College football is upon us. Right? Here's what I love about this time of year. Two weeks, big time college football starts. Everybody is 0-0 right now, right? Your team has not lost a game. I, I, I could say a lot right there, but uh, <laughs> um, I won't. And so your team has not lost a game. And matter of fact, I looked up. I, I don't bet on football, neither should you. But I looked up Vegas's odds of winning the championships. Number, the, the team that has the best odds of winning the championship, according to Vegas, is? 
35.71% chance of winning the championship. Clemson is number two, 15.38. Ohio State is number three at 11.76. Georgia is number four at 10.53. Michigan is number five at 4.76. Vegas ranks every team's odds in big-time college football of winning the national championship. Even the Tennessee Volunteers have a chance. They have a 20%—wait, no. That's a— t- 0.20% chance. <laughs> Sorry. I just read it wrong is all I did. Uh, but, you know, some schedules are harder than others. Georgia has a relatively easy schedule this year. It scares me to death. I hate it when stuff like that happens. And, but here, here's what every team has to do. You know what every team has to do? They have to still play the games, beat the other teams. You can't refuse to play and go 0-0 and claim victory. You have to get on the field, run the play, score on offense, stop on defense, come from behind, and the eventual champion has to play 15 games no matter who they are. Because you don't get a trophy for not playing You get a trophy for playing and winning. You say, preacher, I'm getting rained on pretty hard right now. I get it. But somebody was getting rained on before you and somebody else will get rained on after you. That's the way life works. And your success is not determined by your ability to escape the storm. There's no prize for going O and O. Your ability, your success in life is determined by your ability to overcome the storm. And probably everybody in this room has some kind of junk going on in your life, something that causes you anxiety. You're, listen, you're not being picked on by God. Hey, look this way. Listen, if you hear anything, say, listen to this, which is exactly what the enemy wants you to think. The enemy wants you to curl up. And say, God's picking on me. Now, why does he want you to do that? Here's why. If you'll believe it's God's fault and that this only happens to you, you'll never stop and deal with the real problem. You'll be too busy throwing a pity party. So if you just blame it on God, God, it rains on me more than it rains on other people. God, it floods on me more than it floods on other people. God, the winds are are harder on me than they are on other people. Listen, you'll get so busy throwing a pity party, you'll blame it all on God. And here's what God's trying to tell you. Everybody's got junk going on. Everybody's got a storm in their life. Everybody's got problems in your life. Everybody has stuff going on. Don't blame it on God. The majority of our problems in our lives are caused by us. When we talk about our enemy, hey, I'm, I'm my own worst problem. If I could get me out of the way, I might could do something sometimes. And we go around blaming it on the devil and blame it on God, and they're sent back and say, hey, we ain't touched it. You, just, you got in that mess yourself. Hey, here's what God said. Everybody has junk going on. on. Number two, here's what he said. It's what you do. With what you know that matters. It's what you do with what you know that matters. 
I love this in the passage. It really is convicting to my own heart because here's a statement that's obvious, Captain Obvious here. But let me say it and hear it. Both groups of people heard the sermon. Jesus' sermon. Both groups of people heard the sermon. Both groups of people heard the same sermon. Both knew what was right. And get this, both groups of people were armed with enough information to be winners in life. But both had heard every word. And there was probably more that wasn't even recorded. But both groups of people, the, the Sila Foundation and the Sand Foundation, both of them heard Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7 come out of Jesus' mouth. Both groups. They had all the information they needed to be a winner at life. And listen to this. It wasn't a lack of information that led to one group's success or failure. Listen, it rarely is. Did you hear me there? It's never lack of information. It was what one group did with what they had that let them overcome all that junk and that storm in their life. One group acted on what they knew. The other just listened. So listen to me, church. Here is the lesson. It's not what you know that makes a difference. You say, preacher, are you saying we No, you should learn. You should know more. You should listen to every sermon you can listen to. You should read the Word of God as often as you can. You should dive into the principles of the Bible as much as you can. But here's the truth. You already know far more than you're actually putting into practice. You already know that. It's what you do with what you know. That makes the difference in your life. You remember James 1.22? It says this in the Bible. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. And it closes out weirdly. Deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Now look, look at me because this is going to take a little bit of thought right here. Why is hearing without doing deceiving ourselves? Why is that phrase even in there? Here's why. Because we have the tendency to think we've done something when we've learned it, but we actually haven't put it into practice. We, we live in a generation now that thinks if they tweet about world hunger, they've done something about world hunger. No. If we talk about something, no. You actually have to put it into practice. Now, hang on, hang with me. A research project in the journal Positive Psychology said this. We get endorphin release. Now, I don't want to get into what endorphins are, but it's things in your brain make you feel good, right? It gives you a rush, a positive rush. It's a good thing. Did you know that we get an endorphin release in our brains when we buy a self-help book? Listen, whether we read it or not. Our brain says, good job. And go to the bookstore. How to win friends and influence people. I'm going to buy that book and I'm going to change my life. 
I go pay for it. My brain says, good job, man. You're awesome. I, you, I love you. Everybody loves you. And I go home and put the book on my bookshelf. And I'm still the same old grouch I was before I bought the book. Here's what they said. Buying a new book on happiness, productivity, or money gives you the illusion of having a solution which releases a momentary rush of endorphins. However, nothing has actually changed. The same phenomenon occurs when you read a self-help article or blog or an inspiring quote on Twitter or see a motivational video on Facebook. You get a quick high, your life feels better, something is different, but unless you take action, nothing actually is. So let's try it out today. I looked up the most inspiring quotes ever, and I got just three or four here. Let, Let me show them to you. Here they are. Florence Nightingale. I attribute my success to this. I never gave up or took any excuse. Now, when you read that, immediately my brain goes, I'll never make an excuse again. But it's too cloudy outside today to do anything about it, so I'll just wait till tomorrow and start. Right? Leonardo da Vinci, I've been impressed with the urgency of doing Knowing it is not enough, we must apply. Being willing is not enough, we must do. Actions, productivity. I'll think about that this afternoon while I'm sitting in my recliner, right? (laughs) Go to the next one. Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bowliness, bow line, sorry, Sail away from safe harbor. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover. And most of us won't leave Walker or Catoosa County anytime soon. (laughs) William Arthur Ward. The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The realist adjusts the sails. I love that quote. I love it. But he probably wasn't going through everything I was going through in life when he said that. Some of you will get that later. <laughs> See, you can take those down. Here's, here's the truth. That that's, that's exactly the phenomenon that we experience. That we hear good stuff and we get a release. It's like I bought a book on financial accountability. And then right after that, I bought a car I couldn't afford. It was awesome. I felt good both times. You always feel good for exactly one month after you buy a car until the payment rolls in. And the fact is, every one of those, you, those quotes you read them, you want to jump up and conquer the world, and then what do you do? You sit right back down. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know that really matters. And your Christian life will not get better until you start doing, until you start loving your enemies, until you start praying, until you start dealing with sin, until you stop letting worry kill you. When you start trusting God with your money and you start tithing, listening to a sermon on all those topics will make you feel good. Science shows that reading a blog on working out makes you feel good. But it will not change your life. You only change your life when you act on what you know. It's what you do with what you know that matters is what Jesus said. So let me ask you a question. What are you doing with what you know? 
I mean, you, you hear sermons. Y'all remember back when, when I first got in ministry, I used to preach a sermon on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I preached all three sermons. And somewhere along the way, I started thinking, well, what are they doing with Sunday morning? Why am I preaching another sermon? There is no way they've had time to act on what I preached this morning. And then on Wednesday night, I started thinking, well, what about what I preached Sunday? Sunday was a life-changing sermon, if I have to say so myself. You know plenty. We are oversaturated with knowing. It is not what you know. It is what you do with what you know that matters, is what Jesus said. Number three, he said this, your future is in your hands. So here's what we know. Junk is going to happen to you. You've already heard enough sermons and read enough until you have enough information to be victorious. But listen, here's a great phrase. We know it's not about information. It's about implementation. Remember that. It's not about information. It's about implementation. And Jesus said there were two houses and two outcomes. The house built on the rock the word of God that built their life around the principles of the word of God, brick upon brick, layer upon layer, precept upon precept, the storm came and it stood. The second house, the rains beat on the house and it fell and the great was its fall. This group heard the same sermons but kept doing what they'd always done, followed the crowd, did not act or change. And here's what's interesting. I told you a minute ago those two words that that for beat on the house are translated the same but different. In the house that fell, it's a word that means to deliver a hard blow. And we, here's, here's, here's literally what it means. It, it, it says that the, the storm delivered a knockout punch. A knockout punch. The house fell and it was a horrific crash. Close your Bibles and let me just preach for I mean, literally two or three more minutes and I'm finished. We're going to go to the invitation. This much is certain about your future. Hey, let me just go ahead and discourage you all the way while I've got you this morning. Junk is coming to your life. Do you, do you understand that? I mean, it's hard for me to say because it means junk's coming to my life too. But it's true, right? Junk's coming to your life. Storms are coming to your life. The only question is, will your foundation be on rock or sand? That's up to you. See, Jesus gave us the building blocks of success. The only question is, will we use them? I said something about the lottery a minute ago. This may seem like basic advice, but did you know that in order to actually win the lottery, did you know that if you have a mega million tickets, ticket? And the numbers they call out match the number on your ticket. Did you know you haven't yet won the lottery? You haven't won the lottery until you turn the ticket in. Over the last 15 years, five winning tickets have failed to claim their Powerball or Mega Millions jackpot. That ranges from $31 million for a ticket purchase in Queens, New York in August of 2006 to a $77 million winning ticket 
purchased in Georgia in June 2011. The prizes have since expired. If you found the ticket, it would be no good. But you know, every year, millions of dollars go unclaimed. According to lottery expert Brett Jacobson, there were, uh, get this, 114 prizes worth a million dollars or more. Let that sink in for a moment. 114 prizes worth more than a million dollars that went unclaimed in 2015 alone. 114 prizes worth a million dollars. Because you don't have a winning lottery ticket if you've got the winning numbers and you're holding it in your hand. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Sure does, because if the time's expired, it's not a winning lottery ticket anymore. It never was. It's only a winning lottery ticket when you take it and you turn it in and you claim your prize. And did you know that's the average Christian? You know how to be a success. You know how to live for God. You know how to win. Your future is in your hands. You know hard stuff is coming. You know storms are coming. But his word will prepare you, not just hearing it. Hearing it is part of it. But it is implementing it in your life. Not information, but implementation. And the devil is gearing up for a knockout punch. So what are you going to do about it? Literally, Jesus said, get your act together. Your future is in your hands. Quit blaming God and the devil for how the calamities of your life are going. You're building a house every day, either on rock that'll stand or sand that'll fall. Josh, come get a song together. You, you, you remember the song? How many of you remember the little, this little song? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. Somehow we took this passage and turned it into a nursery rhyme and thought it was for kids. I love that little song. We taught it to our kids when they were little. It's not a nursery rhyme. It's Jesus saying, get your act together. Storms are coming. Build your house. It's not, it, it's not what you know. It's what you're doing with what you know. It's not information. It's implementation. Your future. And some of us, our house is crumbling down around us. Listen, listen. Oh, hear me. Please hear me. Because I'm trying to say it compassionately. Some of your house is crumbling down around you. And you're praying, God, help. And God is saying to you, I sent you a sermon six months ago to help you get through this. And you ignored it. I sent you a Sunday school lesson three months ago to help you get through it. And you ignored it. 
Remember the last time you opened your Bible and you turned to that passage? You read the passage that would help you get through it. Remember the time you were going down the car and you turned your radio on? It was a preacher preaching. If you had hung with that and listened to the whole thing and, and not just talked about how good a sermon it was, if you would have implemented what that preacher said, I was laying a foundation to help you get through the storm. And God's saying, I've done my part. time for the wise man, the wise woman, the wise teenager, the wise Christian to build their house upon the rock. Stand with me. Hey, listen, if you're here today and don't know Jesus as Savior, the Bible actually says this, that your foundation is Jesus Christ, that you need to know him as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you don't, then you, you can't even build a house. Your house is by default. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, but you'd like to know him, and I'm asking if you're a church member, God's not calling church roles in heaven. He's calling the Lamb's Book of Life. If your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you can do that today. So I want everybody in the room to bow their heads with me and close their eyes. Becoming a Christian is as easy as ABC. A, you've got to admit you're a sinner and can't save yourself. B, you've got to believe what Christ did. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day, and so you've got to call out to him. So if you're here today, you don't know Jesus is Savior, but you'd like to be saved, I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. It's not the words you say, but the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus. Pray with me out loud or just in your heart right where you are. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I, I can't save myself. I can't work my way to heaven. I know Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day, so I would not have to. So now I ask Jesus into my life to forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. If you just prayed that prayer with me, you're now born again Christian. I want you to, I want you to do one or two things. I want you to check on that connection. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.